Okay, so today we're going to talk about faithfulness. Faithfulness. It's a, uh, it's quite a subject. Faithfulness. I've been looking into it all week. I've been, you know, I, I get on a topic at the beginning of the week and, you know, God works on my soul throughout the week and, you know, I usually will put the teaching together at the end and that's the case this week has been faithfulness. My own faithfulness. And know that, you know, oftentimes when I teach subjects to you guys, I'm teaching them to myself as well. Uh, that's kind of the blessing of being a minister is you get the benefit from the word you're teaching to other people. Um, faithfulness is something we all need to be reminded about. And so uh, so we're going to talk today about faithfulness. There was a quote that I uh, came across this week, and I thought I'd go ahead and read it to you. It's by a guy named Reverend Carson, and uh, he says, quote, people... Do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. That's quite a quote quote there. And, uh, you know, I think about Satan, that he is the master of deceit, uh, and he is endeavoring to deceive us into doing things, thinking that we're doing the right things, but in fact we're, we're not. He wants more than anything, to render the believer faithless. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, Romans 1. And in verse 17, we let, read this a couple of weeks ago, it says, For in the, gospel, in the gospel of righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is from faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now this quote here, the righteous shall live by faith, is taken from Habakkuk. 2-4, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright in him, and the righteous person shall live by his faithfulness. Faithfulness. So this idea behind the just shall live by faith, there is this quality of faithfulness. And I was thinking, uh, as I was putting my teaching together, uh, some words that we associate with faithfulness. Uh, here are the, a few of them. Loyalty. When we talk about faithfulness, we think of loyalty or fidelity. Those are two good words when we talk about faithfulness to a marriage, for instance. Uh, constancy, constancy, that you continue on. Good times, bad times, you are constant. Uh, consistency, that the quality of your effort is consistent, that you put forth consistent effort. 
steadfastness. That's a word we use in ministry quite a bit, steadfastness, that we are steadfast. How about reliability, reliability? I bring this word up a lot with my two boys, reliability, that one of the most important features of growing up to be a man is to be reliable, that people can rely on you, that when you say something, that your word is your bond and resoluteness, that you are resolved to do things. You know, I was praying earlier about our vows, and it talks about in the Bible that when we vow a vow, we defer not to pay it, meaning that if we have no intention of paying a vow, we should never make the vow in the first place. That if we demonstrate our unfaithfulness in making a vow, it not only uh, is a letdown for God, it harms us and it, it harms our consciences. That our, our, our vows, our personal vows are not even reliable. That when I say I'm going to do something, I need to mean it. So I was thinking about those words and I was thinking about opposite words to faithfulness. Fickle, that's a great word. Fickle, that you blow hot and cold. That you're fly by night. I think of all the, uh, you know, the men in our current generation who are husbands and fathers and how fickle they are, how they are not taking care of their wives and taking care of their children. I'm always amazed when I hear about grown men spending hours and hours and hours playing video games. And I'm thinking, what about the wife and kid? Right? <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. So fickleness. How about unreliability and undependability? Those are words. You know, people who you cannot rely upon. Uh, it's important. And I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we come out of the package perfect, but we have to be open to learning and growing. You know, when I got married, I had no idea what I was signing up for. And a, a big chunk of my personal growth is wrapped up in my learning to be reliable and dependable so that people can count on me. And that's not just going and doing a job every day. That's also that you're reliable, reliable, uh, you know, as far as a, a parent with a, a child that right is right and wrong is wrong today, tomorrow, the next day, that I don't change my opinion on right and wrong every day, that you're going to get the same answer that you got today, tomorrow. And that's so important, so important because People, your kids, your wife, all the people around you, your friends, they all form, you know, the reality is formed by your constancy and your consistency in part, right? There's nothing better than a fellowship of reliable, trustworthy, faithful people. Because as the Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. That when we're around it, we become it. The worst thing that you can do is have a intimate relationship with an unreliable person. It's the worst thing that you can do. You know, it's interesting when you read Second Thessalonians and it talks about the person who is unwilling to work. Not only does it say that you are, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat, but then it goes as far as to say, have no company with that person, yet treat him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So that's that sounds pretty severe when you're around a person who is not willing to put forth effort and work. You're supposed to have no company. Why? Because that person is unreliable. That person is undependable. You don't want anything to do with that person. Now, of course, we're not talking about somebody who lost his job 
and who's endeavoring to get a job and is unable for whatever reason, we're talking about somebody either through sloth or through laziness, selfishness, is unwilling to work. We're supposed to have no fellowship with that person. But before we get into talking about faithfulness, our faithfulness, we definitely need to give a shout out to God, right? I mean, God is faithful. He defines faithful. I was looking at this verse in Deuteronomy. It says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful. He is absolutely faithful. First uh, Corinthians one nine, you don't have to turn there, but it says, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. God is faithful. He's called us. His calling is faithful. Second uh, Thessalonians 3 says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father God are faithful. They are faithful. So God's faithfulness is the foundation. It's the rock, the bedrock that we build our faithful lives upon, right? That Jesus Christ was faithful, that he was among sin, but he never partook in sin, right? He was made like we are, yet without sin. And yet it was he who took it to the grave that we were, our sin was upon him and that he died as a a perfect sacrifice. That was faithfulness, faithfulness in his mission. So go to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24. So we're going to look at three parables here, three parables on faithfulness, Matthew 24. Now, uh, as you know, Matthew 24 is a chapter all about the, Great tribulation, right? So it has a lot to say. And one of the big um, verses in Matthew 24 is, they that continue to the end shall be saved. So this continuance to the end that they will be saved. Now, of course, that doesn't apply to us because our our salvation is different, isn't it? Our salvation, thank God, isn't dependent upon my faithfulness to the end. That is, my salvation is dependent upon me confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead. But during the tribulation period, when the church is no longer there, it is a faithful continuance to the end, right? And in Matthew 24, look in verse 45, this is the first parable. It says, who then is the faithful and wise servant, who the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food in a proper time. It will be good for that servant who the master finds him doing so when he returns, right? So the master has put this certain servant in charge of his other servants, and it says that master has to go away, and it would be good for that servant if when the master comes home, he finds the servant doing what he's supposed to do, right? I tell you the truth, he will be put in charge of all his possessions. Verse 48, but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day 
when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he is not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? So the master goes away, and what happened? The servant starts to indulge himself. And we can see this a lot with ministers in the church, can't we? They have responsibilities. The Lord has given them those responsibilities, and what have they done? Well, some of them are faithful, and some of them have squandered their responsibilities. It says, uh, I wrote here, the master trusted the servant to carry out his will while he was gone, but the servant no longer under supervision behaved well. He behaved badly. He ate and drank his with his uh, beating his fellow servants. But the true and faithful minister does what? He waits and watches. So the servant, the faithful servant, is to wait and to watch. Go to uh, look at chapter 25, verse 1. This is a second parable. At the same time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, virgins here, of course, is we're talking about young women. That's all. There's not a sexual connotation to this. Verse, 20, uh, verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps, right? So there was a, there was preparation, okay? The foolish ones didn't prepare. The wise one did. Wise ones did. And this goes along with this idea of being reliable, dependable. A person who is a wise servant, right? A faithful servant is somebody who is going to prepare. There's preparation. Verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When should they have bought the oil for themselves? Earlier, right? That would have been wise. Not waiting to the last moment, my teenage sons. That's the, that's the tendency of being a young person is that you wait to the last minute to do things. Part of what it means to grow up is that you start to prepare. You see something coming down the road, you prepare for it. Verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door to us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. There it is again. Keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour, right? Watch and wait. Watch and wait. You know, we talk about Jesus Christ and his coming, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We should be always looking for Jesus Christ to return. That's our hope, and that should guide our days. And when I start off my day, you know, in the morning time, I ought to be thinking today may very well be the day that Jesus returns, right? And it should govern the way I lead my life that day. So wisdom to prepare, wisdom to prepare. So look in verse 14, it says again, it will be like men going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property property to them. 
To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who had two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know, I want to stop there. It's important that we recognize God is not a respecter of persons, is he? But he is a respecter of conditions. So if a person throughout their life continually demonstrates dependability, what happens? He gets responsible positions. And a person who demonstrates undependability will not get responsibility or responsible positions. And you can cry racism, sexism, homophobia all day long, but the fact still remains that it should be completely up to the individual that that person demonstrates reliability, dependability. Now, men can be undependable in making judgments of other men, but God is not. God will always see you for what you're all about. If you are reliable and dependable, God will make sure that you are blessed for that, right? You know, uh, there's a verse that says, a man's gift will make room for him and he will rise up among great men. That's not an accident. We have ministries. You know, it's it's just interesting how God will put you among those. Uh, how's, how's the phrase go? Um, we don't always get what we need. We get what we deserve. And it's interesting. Or we warrant. That would be another way of saying it. Right. If you are showing undependability, unreliability, you will find yourself among those who are undependable and unreliable. Bird, birds of a feather flock together. But when you demonstrate reliability, dependability, you will find that you will start attracting other people with that quality to yourself. Does that make sense to everybody? It goes on and says, come and share your master's happiness. And the man with the two talents came, master. He said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have have not sown and gathering where you have have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I could have received at least some interest. Right. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Now, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? To him that has, to him that is 
putting forth some industry and some resourcefulness, who is thinking and considering and weighing and investing, more will be given. But to him that sits back and wants everybody to give him handouts and is unwilling to invest, what happens to him? That which he has is taken away. You know, I'll tell you something. They they say that you're not born into poverty. You learn it. You learn poverty. It's not something that's mandated on you for any reason, but you learn it. And And one of the things that parents oftentimes, unfortunately, pass down to their children are these habit patterns of defeat, habit patterns of slothfulness, habit patterns of victimhood. They pass those down to their children. And so poverty is perpetuated from generation to generation to generation. Nobody's holding that person down. That person is holding himself down. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? God provides us with agency, the ability to do, and we implement our own industry, creativity, resourcefulness. That's up to us. Nobody's going to do it for you. So I want to talk a little bit here about the importance of the faithful minister. Now, when I was putting this together, I was thinking specifically about me, right? But, or, or ministers in general, but then I thought, well, this has application to all of us because we're all ministers. And so it's important for us to see it this way. We live in the modern age and it's an age of great treachery as far as God is concerned, great unfaithfulness and disloyalty within the church. And we've discussed this in this fellowship many times, right? Many in the church have dismissed the gospel of Jesus Christ and have taken to themselves false gospels. I was thinking about Philippians this morning where Paul says, for I have often told you before and now say, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And those enemies are right in the church. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And we see that a lot in the church. So today I wanted to talk with you about the faithful minister. Go ahead and set to Second Timothy chapter 4. You know, when we talk about reliability, fidelity, loyalty, our loyalty, our fidelity has got to be to God first. So any kind of ministry that we talk about, any kind of horizontal ministry has got to be dependent upon our faithfulness to God spiritually, that I need to be faithful to him in my own personal life. Look in uh, chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, look in verse 1. It says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you to charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. How about that? I love those words, in season and out of season. Does that? Do you know what that means, Caleb? In season and out of season? Well, that means when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it, you keep doing it. You know, that there are a lot of vicissitudes in being a minister. There's times I wake up in the morning and I'm like, you know, let's do this thing. <laughs> And there's other days I wake up and I'm like, do I have to do this thing again? I mean, to be completely honest, it's just the day by day part of the walk. And, you know, when you, you know, it's easy to go and read your Bible and say great prayers when you're just feeling thrilled about it. But when you're not feeling thrilled about it, when you're feeling kind of defeated and we all do, 
it really shows the mark of faithfulness that you get up and you do the same thing every day. It's important. It's important. I think about the importance that the Bible places on parents teaching their children. I was thinking about the Shema and about how it says, talk to your children when you sit at home and when you walk along the way, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. We must be faithful parents in teaching our children. And that means when they're children, you know, small children and big children, grown up and out of the house, that we are still our children's counselors, that it doesn't end at 18 years old. So it says in verse 3 in Second Timothy, it says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, right? People accumulate to themselves other people who are going to tell them what they want to hear. That's unfaithful. You want to be around people who are going to tell you that you're full of crap periodically, if you are. I mean, that is. Those are the people that you want to surround yourself with, people who are going to be honest with you. You know, I think about a verse that I've always loved in ministry. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, you think about it, there's a great quote. A friend is somebody who will remind you of who you are when you've forgotten. We need friends like that, folks. I need people to come up to me and say, look, whatever that, whatever's going on in your life right now is not you. It is not you. This is you. We need to remind each other of who we are. And there are times in reminding one another where it's got to be in the form of a rebuke. That whatever you're doing is not good and you need to stop doing it, right? That's how we keep each other faithful. It's so important. It's not only important to say it, it's also important to receive it. Nobody likes to hear that they're doing a crappy job or that they are being unfaithful. But they, we need it. We need it. Absolutely. It says in verse 5, But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. We'll come, we'll come to that later on in this teaching. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Personal faithfulness. How can we expect faithfulness in the church if we're not willing to demand it of ourselves? Personal faithfulness. That I am interested before I'm talking about anybody else, I'm interested in my personal faithful discharge of my own requirements, my own duties in ministry. Go to Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy 2. Faithfulness is such a big deal. It's such a big deal. Uh, another little quote, I'm sure some of you have heard it. It takes 15 years to grow a, a apple tree that produces fruit, and it takes all of about 10 minutes to chop it down. Boys, do you understand what that means? That means a life is a steady investment of time and effort and sun and rain and nutrients. And that that life will grow like a apple tree and that life will start to produce fruit. But you can go down and chop that that apple tree down in five minutes if you want to. And what does that mean? That means you can destroy your life by unfaithfulness, that you have been faithful to your life, faithful to the goodness that's going into your life, and then 
make a wrong turn? How many scandals do we hear about in government, in the church, where men and women who have been, you know, well, whatever, I don't know how faithful they are, but, you know, they make a detour and they get caught up in a, in a, an affair or something and it destroys their life. And we've talked about that in this fellowship. The unfaithfulness started a long time before the act actually occurred, right? So it's not just being faithful in deeds, it's being faithful in thoughts. How important that is. So Second Timothy chapter 2, look in verse 1. It says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So this is Timothy, or uh, Paul, talking to Timothy. And he's saying, be strong in the grace. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable. There's that word, reliable. You entrust these truths to reliable men who will be also be qualified to teach others. Who's qualified to teach others? Reliable men who have been entrusted. You see what I'm saying? God's not foolish here. He knows who to, you know, give the information to. <laughs> reliable, reliable. But it starts off here with being strong in grace. Now we know that grace means unmerited divine favor. So what does it mean to be strong in unmerited divine favor? That doesn't that's kind of awkward a little bit, isn't it? It doesn't really communicate. I wrote down here that being strong in grace means that we have a fundamental understanding in our worldview that all we are and all we have is from God and not ourselves. Does that communicate to everybody? The greatest enemy of grace is self. I did it myself, right? Uh, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 7, it says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? That's a great question. Whenever you find boasting in your life, it's because of self. I thought about uh, another verse in, in 1 Corinthians but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He has chosen the lowly things of, the, of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the, a wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him that boasts, boast in the Lord, right? So our boasting is in the Lord because the Lord provides us everything that we need. We know the verse that says, God worketh in us both the will and to do of his good pleasure. So being strong in the grace means to recognize that of myself, I am weak. And of myself, I am unworthy. But in him, I am strong. And in him, I am worthy. Christ is my strength and my worthiness. Look at verse 3. It says, endure hardness with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Okay, so endure hardness. What does that mean? It means endure privations, right? Boys, do you know what privation means? Privations? That means you learn to do with little, that you don't have a lot. The soldier metaphor is used here of the faithful minister, right? We use the term a Spartan existence, has anybody ever heard that term before, a Spartan? Do you know the story of the Spartans and the Athenians, right? The Athenians in ancient Greece were more 
city dwellers, cosmopolitan, whereas the Spartans, Sparta, they raised their young men to do what? Be soldiers. And so a Spartan was taught to do a lot with a little. He learned as a young man to not rely on a lot of outward stuff. So when we talk about a Spartan existence, it means that you don't have a lot of things, right? A, a, a soldier leads a life of discipline. He has few frills, few luxuries, long hours, hard work, and little sleep. The soldier's life would never be considered a life of ease and indulgence. You know, when I read this, I always wonder about the name it and claim it crowd and about the prosperity doctrine, the followers of the prosperity doctrine and, and how they can read verses like this and not understand that our lives are not supposed to be indulgent lives. They're not. They're supposed, supposed to be lives of austerity. And you think about it, well, why does a soldier live an austere lifestyle? Because the mission demands it. The mission demands it. What's our mission? Ministry. We're supposed to be out there preaching the word to people in season and out of season. If I am indulgent, if I'm fat and happy, if I'm looking to buy my next Cadillac or Rolls Royce because God has been so good to me, right? All right am I going to be doing my mission? No, it's a farce. Verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Wow, that's that's pretty direct, isn't it? You know, in the military, there's this strong hierarchical structure of command, right? That you are beholden to your commanding officer who is beholden to his commanding officer who's com- beholden to his commanding officer. And when I step outside of that arrangement, what is it called? Insubordination. Right. Insubordination. Traditionally, in this country, at least, because of the unique purpose of the military, it has always operated separately from cultural and political fads. And it's for that reason, because they are there with a mission. And what's the mission? To protect this country. So a soldier can't afford to get caught up in the philosophies, ideologies, fads of the day that he is answerable to his commanding officer. Who's our commanding officer? Jesus Christ. He's our commanding officer. And this is true for the faithful minister. Absolutely. Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. How about that? You can't serve two masters. In verse 5, it says, similarly, If anyone competes as an athlete, so now we just change metaphors. We were talking about the faithful minister being a soldier. Now we're talking about the faithful minister being an athlete. It says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he does what? Competes according to the rules. According to the rules. Now that that was a hard lesson for me because, you know, as you probably have learned over the over the years, I've been a rule breaker my whole life. Well, at least when I was a young person, I broke a lot of rules. My dad taught me this. He said, uh, he said that, um, uh, Lenin said that rules are like pie crusts. They're made to be broken. So I broke a lot of rules as a young person, but as a minister of Jesus Christ, who is striving according to a purposed mission, 
I've got to adhere to the rules. Hold your finger here and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Faithful minister is being likened to an athlete. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. If you're going to be out there, you should be trying to win, in other words. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. There's your preparation, right? You're not just going to magically walk out onto the field and be the greatest football player ever known. There's got to be preparation for it, right? They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man who is shadow boxing, beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. That sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? I beat my body. In the ESV, it's much better. It's I discipline my body. That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? That I'm in training, right? And I discipline my body. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself not be disqualified for the prize, that I am deliberately disciplining my body. There is a discipline to the Christian life. Christian must strive according to the rules. We've all read these scandals about these scandals in the church, the most recently being Ravi Zacharias. And it's just a, it's a shame. It's a heartbreak because I don't know if you know Ravi Zacharias, but he was just one of my favorites. Um, he was an apologist. And after Ravi Zacharias died, they found out that he had been having all these illicit affairs with women all over the world. I mean, just outrageous. And I, I just, you know, what did you think about his legacy that he left behind? What was the legacy? Well, you know, to the, the you know, the defamer, it was a legacy of, well, there's another supposed man of God who is you know, using his ministry as a front for his bad behavior. And, uh, you know, it gets worse. Now, I don't want to sound too condemning because I'm a man too. I have my own stuff. But I also recognize the truth of God's word, that God's word says that the only way that we're going to get a prize is if we strive lawfully, if we strive according to the rules, how can we expect to have faithfulness in a ministry if we can't have personal faithfulness? It's a requirement. I saw this quote here. I thought it was very an excellent quote. It says, The truth of God may be no truth to us. His love in the Savior may exercise no constraining power. And what is the reason? How are we to explain the fact that the mind of God has no control over the minds of men? The reason is truth has never stamped Upon the heart. It is not understood that with the heart man believes unto righteousness. The first and great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy strength and mind, is not felt and not obeyed. And men, in consequence, often drink up iniquity with the very word of God open before them, soliciting their hearts and their affections for their Lord. They have his word it is perverted to light them on the way to a more certain ruin. So the idea here being we can hold the truth, but it doesn't do us any good unless the truth holds us. Does that make sense? The faithful minister 
like the athlete, maintains discipline over his passions and desires. Very important. This is so important in faithfulness. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer. So now we've changed to yet another metaphor. We started with servant. We talked about the soldier. And then it was athlete. Hardworking farmer is the next one. Okay? The hardworking farmer. It says in verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Right? The hardworking farmer. You know, I always think about that that uh, parable about, you know, that Jesus said about putting your hand to the plow. Once you put your hand to the plow, you don't look back. You know, a farmer's life is a long day, isn't it? Every day, getting up early in the morning and working all the way through. So it's rugged. Verse 7, reflect on what I am saying and the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like an animal. But God's word is not chained. Now, you see that endurance in Paul, don't you? The faithfulness in Paul, that Paul was willing to go to prison and ultimately to his death over preaching the gospel. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, even eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithless, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words, meaning these senseless, ridiculous arguments that we get into. We just need to stay away from them. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter. It is unfaithful to engage in godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more what? Ungodly. Don't get caught up in that. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord, now listen to this, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. The Lord knows. The Lord knows who are his. I love that. That's comforting, isn't it? You don't have to go out there and try to virtue signal your faith. The Lord knows. He knows who are his. They say that the resurrection is already passed. In a large house, there are many articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ennoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, meaning these false doctrines, he will be an instrument for noble purposes made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace and along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There's the importance of having 
like-minded believers around you. That you're not just doing this yourself, but you surround yourselves with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. That's important. Satan is always trying to entice us into stupid arguments. We're not supposed to get involved in them. Verse 23, don't have, I'm sorry, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. I like that. And he must be kind to everyone. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Isn't that great? So that's the ministry. That's the ministry that we're supposed to be out there faithfully, reliably teaching people about Jesus Christ helping them to recover themselves out of the snare of Satan who takes them captive. That's our purpose. And, you know, as Paul said, you know, there is a reward for faithfully doing it, a crown. So anyway, that's what I wanted to share today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that word. We thank you, Father, for the faithfulness of our walks. And Father, that as Paul said in Corinthians, he referred to himself as one having received mercy, that he might be faithful. And Father, we recognize that that faithfulness is, it is just so important, but it's father, it's, it's not something to, to dwell on and to become proud of in our flesh, but father, we are reliant on you for our faithfulness. You are our God of faithfulness, father, and we look to you both in our example and that you work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. So father, we thank you for that. We thank you, father, for blessing this fellowship with continued faithfulness and even increased faithfulness, Father, that we are willing to vow vows and go deep with you. So thank you for this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So many voices whispering to me, saying I should be the king of my own story. But I'm not listening. So shine the light and
find me. Faith. 